Uh, today's reading comes from Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. Now, when the human one comes in his majesty and all his angels are with him, he will sit on his majestic throne. All the nations will be gathered in front of him. He will separate them from each other, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right side, uh, the goats will go on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who will receive good things from my father, inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you before the world began. For I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? And when did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you in? Or naked and give you clothes to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Then the king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Get away from me, you who will receive terrible things. Go into the unending fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me in. I was naked, you did not give me clothes to wear. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And then they will reply, Lord, when did we see you in any of these situations? He will answer, I assure you, when you did not do it for the least of these, you did not do it for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous ones will go into eternal life. Very famous passage in Matthew 25 here. Scripture is a funny thing. Uh, it's, it's tough. The Bible's not easy. Uh, a few phrases here or there can alter the meaning. It can, it can change the very question that that passage was intending to answer. And I think this is one of these situations. I'm not here to tell you what the right interpretation is. I'm going to give you two. right? I'm going to give you two possible interpretations and what those might say to us or how they might challenge us. The Bible demands us to engage in a dialogue with it. I love this. God wants us to be in dialogue. God wants us to think and be critical and ask questions and engage the text. Uh, so it doesn't just lay it out easily, right? It's, it's kind of a challenge, and so we have to wrestle. What, what might this mean, and what's God trying to say to us? And so we enter this conversation with humility. I do not claim to have all the right answers. I hope that God might speak to you and shape us, encourage us, challenge us in the midst of the text. So the most common interpretation that I've heard for this text is something like this. When we say God will look at all the nations, right? It's almost like this judgment day scenario. All the nations. I'm so sorry. There's someone who's unmuted. I can, so I continue to hear myself. Yeah, make sure you're muted, please. There's all the nations. This means everyone is before God 
And the question is, how will God, what rubric will God judge all of us by? What is the measure? Well, we're going to be judged by how we treated the least of these among us. That's how we will be judged. What defines a sheep? Someone who fed, gave something to drink, clothed, visited, cared for the least of these. Because when you do it for the least of these, you do it for God. This is like the mission statement of Mother Teresa. In each person she tried to help, in each of the least of these of Calcutta, she tried to see the face of Jesus. And those that are judged harshly, the goats, are the ones that did not care for, their, for the least of these. This is why I said, hey, Em, maybe tune me out. For, if you're feeling like you're not good enough and you're not doing enough, this passage isn't wonderfully encouraging right now. Uh, so, uh, but don't worry. Uh, I think we can still grow and learn from it. But, you know, we're, we're always at a different emotional point in our lives, and sometimes this uh, can be detrimental, right? One of the things about the typical interpretation is there's this distinction made between sins of commission and sins of omission, right? So sins of commission are like, if I kill someone, I've committed a sin. If I steal, if I lie, I've committed wrong. I've violated the Ten Commandments or the commands of God, right? I've done something wrong. Sins of omission are when we haven't done anything wrong, but we have failed to do good. We have failed to love to seek out those who might require our, our kindness, our attention, our resources, our support, and we haven't. So one way to think of it is I can avoid, you know, I can like, I don't drink, chew, or run with girls that do. I can avoid all of that, and I can still be a jerk. I can still be selfish. I can still be judgmental, filled with pride. I can still be deeply insecure and lash out in my insecurity. So I, you don't have to commit acts of sin to fail to live up to Christ's call to love our neighbor, to love the least of these. So they're sins of omission, not just commission. So this raises the stakes, right? I think so often the church historically has focused on don't go to R-rated movies, don't have sex before you're married, we're, we're anti this and we're anti that. And that sets all the things you're not allowed to do. But the problem is, for many people who are not Christian, they're not sure what we're actually called to do. <laughs> what is the Christian mission in the world? What do we should we be doing, which is to love the least? It's the, it's the call of downward mobility to those that are suffering and hurting and to be in solidarity with them. To not just write a check for them, right? But to actually be in relationship and solidarity with the least of these. Jesus is poor, is oppressed, is rejected, is marginalized. He is in relationship there, right? What do we do with the least of these? So that's a huge call. I'm not just supposed to avoid things, which I am. I should avoid things that are sinful. But I'm also called to do good. So that's sort of the, the common way I've heard this passage uh, interpreted. You know, in one way, I love this interpretation because it suggests that it's not enough just to believe. How will the sheep be divided from the goats? It's not based on, did you have the right theology? Were you Protestant and not Catholic? Did you have the right Christology? 
Jesus doesn't say that's how sheep will be divided from goats, not having all the right beliefs. How did you treat the least of these? That's how you'll be judged, right? So that's powerful, I think, in terms of are we a community, not just individuals, but are we a community of love? The moment you begin to feel like you're not enough, like you don't do enough, are you embedded in a community that's doing these things, calling you to do these things? Then you're, that's part of you. <laughs> it's not us, it's not, it's not Collister versus what you're doing. You are Collister, right? We do this together. Isn't that beautiful? Right? As a community, we do this. I'm going to give you a slightly different interpretation. I'm going to go, so this is number two. This is number two alternative. So typically when it says God will look at the nations and judge sheep from goats, we assume everyone. I think this is not the best way to interpret the passage. So when it talks about the nations here, there's a Greek word that means all, like everyone, uh, and it's pantes. And it, that sounds like panties. I hate that. I'm not very good with Greek. Pantes, P-A-N-T-E-S, right? Greek word. And that's the Greek word for everyone, all. But that's not the word Matthew uses here. Matthew uses the Greek word ethne, E-T-H-N-E. And ethne is a, a very technical Greek word that is most frequently used to refer to non-Jewish nations, non-believers, Gentiles. So Matthew uses ethne a couple of times, but in that he's referring to Gentile groups, non-Jewish groups, non-believers. So if I'm right in this, and maybe I'm not, Matthew, when he says God will look over the nations, the question that Matthew has in mind is, how will non-believers be judged? How will non-Jewish nations, how will non-Christians, we might say non-Christians be judged? Well, Gentiles, non-believers, those that don't have the beliefs we have, the faith we have, how will they be judged? How they treat the least of these. If I'm right, that means Matthew 25, this verse, is about non-Christians that get to be sheep, that get to be saved, that they won't be judged on having the right beliefs. They'll be judged on how they treat the least of these. Do they love? Are they compassionate? That's how non-believers will be judged. The nations, the Gentile nations, the non-believing nations. Oh, I love that. That gives me such great hope. Because I'll tell you something that just I, I, I can't accept. Like, I tried to accept this growing up in a Christian home that asked me to accept this, and I can't do it. And that is to think about Albert Schweitzer in hell. Or Gandhi in hell. Like, they didn't believe the right things. Eternal punishment. I, that doesn't compute to me. People who spend their whole life their whole life trying to love, walking in the way of Jesus, even though they didn't have the name of Jesus on their lips. If I'm right, Matthew 25 is suggesting that non-believers will be judged in how they treat the least of these and how they love. Oh, and I think that's the question that's being addressed here. Of course, I can be wrong. All I want you to do is consider it. Consider, right, that that might be the context given the Greek that's being used. In either case, I want to think about this in terms of our own lives, right? So I want to talk about this just in practical terms briefly. Number one, 
Um, for some of you like me, this might give you great hope. For those that have family members and friends and people of other faiths or no faith at all, um, but that look and live a lot like Jesus, this gives me great hope, right? Um, I think I'm here to spread the good news to people who don't have much hope, who are lost and isolated and broken, and I want to say you don't have to live like this. I've got a community you can be a part of. But I have a hard time going to people who live wonderful lives, are, are filled with hope, have passion and a purpose, but don't happen to be Christian. I don't, I don't feel the need to convert them. I feel the need to join with them, <laughs> to link arms and say, let's make the world better for the kingdom of God. Maybe that sets you free. Maybe that gives you some hope. The second thing I want to say, just from a practical standpoint, comes from the first interpretation. The idea that this passage is about how all of us will be judged. That God doesn't just want us to avoid bad things, which He does want that, but God also wants us to do good things. What I'm suggesting to you is that you take the call to push yourself every week and every month to take one baby step further towards finding those who need your love and your support and your care and your resources. Give of yourself a little bit more. Reserve yourself a little bit less. Become just a little bit more transparent, vulnerable, risk for the sake of someone else. Get involved in a ministry. Start a Bible study. I don't know what God's calling you to, but I don't want you to close up. And this, I love that Emily shared this because my thought is to feel overwhelmed and daunted. The world has so many needs, I'm not meeting any of them. I'm terrible. Let's watch TV. That is what I want to do. So instead of the guilt and the shame, what if you, what if you got rid of that and you said, I'm just going to take one step forward. I'm not going to run a marathon today. I'm just going to run a half of a mile today. And tomorrow I'll run 0.6, then 0.7, then 0.8, right? And God is asking you that next step. If you're an athlete, ask Charlie who swims. You, you find a baseline, and then you push yourself a little bit further at practice. And then you create a new baseline, and then you push yourself a little bit further at practice. And before you know it, you're able to go further than you ever thought. What if we did that in our spiritual lives? So I'm going to give a, a, a historical example of what I would call the, the sheep and the goats story. Uh, I'm going to share my screen, and I have subtitles because I think sometimes the audio is tough so you can read it. But it comes from the movie Schindler's List, and I, I know a lot of you have seen this. But the story is a true story from World War II. Oscar Schindler uh, was a Nazi was very much good in business, was very um, industrious, wanted to make a lot of money, was part of the war machine, had factories that were essentially producing weapons uh, and goods for the German war effort. And at some point in his life, he begins to see what's happening to the Jewish people and the extermination. And he shifts and begins to pay, buy, essentially Jewish lives from concentration camps to come work in his factories where... He saved them from, from death and provided them with a life and risked his own life to essentially lie to Nazis, hide Jewish people, did what he could. The clip we're going to watch is the war has ended. The Allied forces have won and um, 
Schindler essentially is going to have to be arrested as a Nazi. Uh, he eventually is, is set free because the letters that these Jewish survivors wrote for him saying that he saved their lives. But you can see him now surrounded by all of his workers that he saved. But I want you to pay attention to how he feels, like his attitude. Um, and maybe some of you might feel the same. So that's uh, the idea, like, that's not a sin of commission. This is a sin of omission. Like, I didn't do anything wrong, but I could have done more. Well, of course you could have done more. We could always do more. Of course. Like, anyone around would say, but look, at you, look what you did do. And, but what he can see is what he didn't do, what he failed to do. But that drive and that attitude, that feeling of obligation, is what made him heroic. That it wasn't just avoiding doing evil, it was a deep sense that I have to do everything I can to do good. So I don't want us to take the guilt and shame of Schindler, because that doesn't do any of us any good, right? I'm, I didn't do enough, I, I could have done more, but I want us to take the passion and the call of Schindler very seriously. So I'm going to challenge each one of you, each one in this room, myself included, what is the next thing, the next step, the next place the Holy Spirit is moving you towards in terms of sacrifice for the sake of someone else? What can you give your time, your talent, your money such that others might flourish? How can we do the next baby step, the next small thing to love the least, the last and the lost? That's my challenge. That's, that's what I want you to pray on this week and this holiday season. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your call to love the least. Give us wisdom to know how to do that in our lives. Show us. Give us discernment and give us faithfulness to, to go where you follow. To love in radical ways. We're grateful you're a God that doesn't just say, Joe, do this, but you took on flesh and bone and showed me what that looks like in the person of Jesus. Thank you for that example. Help us to be faithful disciples. Amen.
Please join us for our closing song.